turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. We've been in Luke chapter 1 for the past few weeks, and we're actually going to uh, close out Luke chapter 1 today. And what I've been doing over these past few weeks is I've been asking you a question. Uh, And that question is simply this, what does the Christmas story mean to my faith today? How many of you have heard the Christmas story all your life, right? Probably a bunch of you. Uh, I know ever since I can remember, um, my mom and my dad and my, my grandparents and my Aunt Nancy, and I just remember hearing the Christmas story over and over and over again. And here's the truth, the Christmas story to me never gets old. I love it. I love to hear the Christmas story. Uh, I'm going to tell you, the Christmas story, it means something to me today, just like it has meant something to me each and every day I've ever heard it. But the question is this, what does it mean to my faith today? How, How can I hear the Christmas story, learn from the Christmas story, and actually use the Christmas story in my faith today, in my home? In my workplace, if you're a student, how can you use the Christmas story and your faith in school? How can we use the Christmas story as a a foundation for our faith out there in the world? And that's what I want you to see. The Christmas story, that's what it is. It is a foundation of faith. It's a foundation for your faith. It's a foundation for my faith. And the reason I can say that is because the Christmas story is all about the Christ. That's what it is. It's not about the pretty trees and the lights. It's not about the beautiful poinsettias and all the Christmas decorations. You know what? It's not even about that good food we like to eat. Like, you can't have enough Christmas parties during the Christmas season, can you? Because the food is some kind of good. But as good as all of those things are, right, Christmas is about the Christ. It's all about Jesus. And that's why I say the Christmas story is a firm foundation for the faith that we have from God. So far, what we've done is we've looked at some important people uh, in the Christmas story according to Luke's gospel. And those people, I'll just name them for you, the three that we've really looked at so far. We've looked at Zechariah, we've looked at Elizabeth, who was his wife, and we've looked at Mary. I thought about that song that Brother Andy just sang, Mary, Did You Know? Uh, this past Thursday night, Marty and I went to the, to the movie theater and we went to see The Chosen. Holy Night, and that's what it was. It was about the birth of Jesus Christ, and it, it's two different viewpoints. One, one viewpoint is from the shepherds who were told by the angels that the Savior of the world had come, and then it's told from the viewpoint of Mary and Joseph. And I remember that scene when Mary had that baby, and she held that baby in her arms, and I just remember when she looked at him, she was looking at the face of God. She was looking at her Savior. Right, Not just her child, but her Savior. And she kissed him on the forehead. And so as Andy sang that song, that's all I could think about was that, that moment when, when Mary's faith right, what was magnified, when Mary's faith grew exponentially because she was holding not just her child, but her Savior. And that's what we see in all three of these people, Zechariah and Elizabeth and Mary. We see their faith unfolding right before us in this gospel story. And what we see is we see that sometimes we struggle, don't we? Sometimes our our faith is tested, and guess what? Sometimes we stumble in it. Sometimes we fall, you know, flat on our faces, right, when it comes to our faith. Sometimes uh, we embrace it, and sometimes we we just, I mean, we high-five, and we, we exercise victory in it. 
I think about Elizabeth, right? You remember what happened to Elizabeth? When, when Mary came through her door, the Bible says Elizabeth was filled with the Spirit. And you remember what she did? She praised the Lord who was in Mary's womb. She didn't think about her own child. She didn't think about herself. The Spirit led her and guided her to give praise to God for the Savior in, whom, in, in the presence, right? She was in the presence of her Savior even though He was in the womb of Mary. And then you think about Mary. Mary, she heard all of these things the angel said. And remember, Mary, she wasn't doubting God. She just didn't understand. But do you remember what she said? She said, I am your servant. I am your servant. And I will do what you require of me. In other words, sometimes in our faith, we walk forward in trust. We walk forward in surrender. Today, we're going to circle back, and we're going to get to this guy, Zechariah. Now, if you weren't with us when we started this series, Zechariah, uh, he was a priest of God, and he, he was working in the temple. He was doing something that was an incredible honor, right? Most of the time, when you got this, you never got it again. And there were many priests who never got this responsibility to actually go into the temple and offer incense and then come back out and pour a blessing out on the people. But if you'll remember, when Zechariah went into the temple, the angel told him that he and his wife were going to have a baby. And I want to show you something, okay? Because what we see in Scripture, and I'm just going to, I'm going to read it for you. Zechariah, what happened to him, he didn't believe. He was silenced for nine months as a result of not believing the good news that the angel Gabriel delivered to him. Let me read it for you. Luke chapter 1 verse 20. It says, And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words which will come true at their appointed time. Listen, Zechariah was a man of faith, but in this moment he stumbled in his faith. I mean, he fell flat on his face in his faith. And he suffered the consequences of that failure, of that stumble, of that fall. And here's what I want you to see. Whether we fail at times or whether we succeed at times, we're going to bear the fruit of our faith. And Zechariah, what should have been nine months, right, of shouting out with his voice for the Lord and shouting out in joy, he was silenced. He could not open his mouth. He could not unbridle his tongue because God closed it. That's a consequence of what? Not believing. Now, does that mean that Zechariah had no faith? That's not what it means. What it means is in that moment, he quenched his faith, just like we can quench our faith and quench the Spirit. That's what happened with Zechariah. But we're going to see something today. We're going to see something today that's pretty incredible. Now, you know I love to run. I'm a runner. I love to run. And back when I was in high school, I ran track. And I remember uh, one sunny afternoon over at River Oaks in Monroe. Uh, I remember I was in four races that day. I was in two relay races, and I was in the 800, and I was in the 1600 run. And the 800-meter run is my favorite run. It's two laps around the track, and you just go as fast as you can. And I was pretty good at that. That's that's. I won a state championship in that, so that was my race. I loved that race. And I remember that day at River Oaks, something happened. Um, I was in, I had already completed the first lap, and I was coming around the curve. And me and a, and a guy that was uh, pretty good and really probably my fiercest competitor, he was right alongside of me, and he was trying to get in front of me. 
And I tried to stay in front of him, and what happened was when I came in that curve, I stepped over the white line. And there are judges all around the track watching for those kinds of things. I did not realize that I had stepped over the line, so I kept on running. And when I crossed the finish line, I thought I won first place because I'm the one that broke the tape. But guess what? There was this, this thing called DNF. Did not finish. Right? Did not finish. I was crushed. I thought I won the race. I thought I won 10 points for my team. I did not. Did not finish means you don't even get a place. So, so listen, there were, there were probably 10 of us running. I didn't even finish 10th, okay? I did not finish, even though I thought I finished. I was crushed. I was mad. I mean, I was furious. And I remember, I remember what Coach Sonny Vadreen said. Coach Sonny Vadreen came up to me and he said, he said, hey, it doesn't matter what happened. It doesn't matter whose fault it is. You got another race to run. That's what he told me. He tried to get my mind off of the failure of this race because he knew I had another race. And here's a question I want to ask you today. It's a question that's very important. You might say, well, Brother Jeff, what does that have to do with this passage of Scripture today? What does that have to do with my faith today? What does that have to do with the Christmas story? Here's the question. Are you thankful to God for new starting lines? I don't know about you, but I am. I am thankful to God for new starting lines. And the reason I say that is because just like I stepped out of bounds, right, and did not finish the race that day, I have done that many times in my walk with Christ. I have done that many times in my relationship with God. I have not obeyed His commands at this point and at this point and this time. I have wanted to do things and done things the way I wanted to do it rather than the way God wanted to do it. I have failed. I have stumbled and fallen in my faith journey. You may think, oh, well, he's a preacher. He's up there behind that pulpit. He's got that that term brother or pastor in front of him. Let me just tell you something. I am guilty of sin just like you're guilty of sin. And I struggle in my walk with the Lord, and I struggle in my faith. And listen to me, I stumble and fall too in my faith. But I am thankful to God for new starting lines. And I believe that's what we're going to see in the Scriptures today. I love what Paul told young Timothy over in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13. He told Timothy this. He said, Timothy, if we are faithless, God remains faithful. If we are faithless, God remains faithful. So let me just tell you something. I don't know, I don't know how you feel this morning. I don't know what you're thinking about this morning. You may be sitting there right now and you may be feeling like a failure. You may be stumbling and bumbling with your faith right now. But let me just tell you something. Even when you're faithless, God is faithful. And if you're His child, He loves you just the same. And God can, and I believe God will, give you a new starting line. It could be right now. It could be right here. It could be today. Let me show you in Scripture. Luke chapter 1. Beginning in verse 57. Now remember, Zechariah, he knows, he knows that God is faithful. He knows that God, when God makes a promise, he keeps it. He knows that. But here's the thing. He ain't been able to open his mouth and shout for joy and shout for praise for nine months. Verse 57 
says when it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy. We've been singing about mercy all morning, amen? That's an important passage. That's an important part of this passage today. It says her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah, but his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. And they said to her, there was no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child, because remember, he can't talk. So they're making signs. As a matter of fact, most theologians believe that not only could he not talk, he could not hear, or else why would they have to make signs? And so some theologians believe that he was totally, right, totally out of it as far as his hearing and his speaking. And so it says they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. And look at verse 64. Talk about a new starting line. Here it is. Immediately, his mouth was opened and his tongue set free. And he began to speak, and look how he spoke, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe. And through the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all of these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. Now, according to Jewish custom and according to the law that we see in Leviticus chapter 12, here's the truth, right? A child was circumcised on the eighth day. So after the child was born on the eighth day, a child would be circumcised and all of the family and friends would come and celebrate and they would actually be a part of the naming process. And so, again, as was custom, a firstborn Jewish son was usually named after the father or the father's lineage. And so they assumed, right, all of these family members, all of these friends, they just assumed that since this was Zachariah's son, that he would follow through with the Jewish customs and the Jewish law. He would circumcise his son and he would name his son either after himself or someone in his lineage. They, they assumed that. And listen to me, they meant well. But they did not know the command that was given to Elizabeth and Zechariah. They didn't know that. And so they did, Elizabeth and Zechariah did, what God commanded them to do. Not what their family and friends wanted them to do, not what was tradition, but what God said. And what we see in this passage of Scripture is something very incredible. Let's start with Elizabeth. Because of God's mercy, understand everything that we read, it was all because of God's mercy. And because of God's mercy, what did Elizabeth experience? Joy. Great joy. She experienced great joy. Listen, the promise of God had become her reality. And the Bible said she was holding the prophet of the Most High. So when she had this baby, she was holding the prophet 
of the Most High. And that's what we hear him called in verse 76 from Zechariah's tongue in just a moment. And so God's mercy to Elizabeth caused her to experience great joy. And guess what? It was joy that was shared by everybody around her, including Zechariah. But also, because of God's great mercy, what happens to Zechariah? Well, Zechariah was able to pour out praise. Can you imagine? Can you imagine Zechariah? Nine months, cannot open his mouth, cannot use his tongue. And again, according to theologians, can't even really hear. Can't hear the, the celebration that's going on around him. All he can do is see it with his eyes, but he cannot respond to it the way he normally would respond. This is incredible for me because Zechariah at first, as we first see him, he did not believe. He did not believe the word of God that was given to him through Gabriel. And if you'll remember, Gabriel rebuked him. And so Zechariah had to suffer through this rebuke. Listen to me. Zechariah had to struggle in his faith. And it wasn't just a a daily struggle It wasn't even just a weekly struggle. It was a monthly struggle. It was almost a year worth of struggling in his faith. Imagine all the time he had to think about God's plan. Think about that. He had all this time to think about God's plan, God's word to him. Maybe maybe Zechariah was thinking to himself, you know what, I blew it. I blew it. That, That moment when the light fell on me to be in that temple... And to to offer incense to the Lord. To to come out and not even be able to speak. Man, I blew it. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever felt that way in your relationship with God? You ever felt that way? Where, Where you know that God has spoken to you. You know that God's presence has been with you. You know what His Word has said to you and for you. And you just blew it. What did that feel like? Now multiply that by nine months of watching what God is doing. Seeing what God is doing but not be able to respond. So maybe he said, I blew it. I had a chance to run this incredible race, but I did not finish. DNF, that's what that's called. Some some say uh, disqualified. Same thing. I didn't even get the place in the race. Maybe that's what he was feeling. He could have been mad at himself, right? I know I was. I was mad at myself when I stepped out of bounds and didn't just lose the race. My name didn't even appear like I had run the race. Not only did I not get 10 points, I didn't get one point. And I crossed the finish line before everybody else. Maybe Zechariah was mad at himself. Maybe, Maybe he was mad at Gabriel. Or maybe, even maybe, he was mad at God. I don't know all of that. I'm just trying to put myself in his place. And I know what I feel like when I stumble and I fall in my faith. And I know that sometimes instead of taking responsibility myself, it's real easy for me to point fingers. What about you? Is it easy to do that? Is it easy to point fingers at somebody else? Even point your finger back at God and say, God, if you wouldn't have done this, or God, if you would have done this, God, if you'd have done it the way I wanted It's very easy to do that. We can get full of self real fast. But here's what I love, right? Zechariah had nine months to think about God's plans, God's word, God's purposes. 
And when the time comes to act on God's command, and remember, what was God's command? He shall be called John. When the, when the crowd, when all the people said, Hey, Zechariah, what do you want to name this boy? What did Zechariah say? With handwriting. Not with his mouth, but with handwriting. His name is John. Immediately, right? I believe there wasn't even a breath taken. Immediately, God opened his mouth and God set free his tongue. And what did he do? He praised God. He didn't say, God, why'd you wait so long? He didn't say, God, why did you do this to me? The Bible says he praised God. He praised God. And I'm going to tell you, I love this because it had an impact not only upon him, right, but upon everyone around him. How do I know that? It says this because of God's mercy. It says all of the people were filled with awe. And when that word awe is used, especially in the Old Testament, but here early in the New Testament, when that word awe is used, it's a word that means reverence and glory and praise to Almighty God. So think about this for just a moment, right? Zechariah, who could have chosen to be full of self and say, I can't believe I had to be quiet about this for nine months. I can't believe God did this to me. Instead of responding that way, he responds with pouring out his praise to God. Thank you, God. God, you are good. God, you are right. God, you are faithful. It says that everybody around him was filled with awe, which means they had respect, right? It means they glorified God. It means they were... They were stood in wonder at what God had said and what God was doing. And they even went out and told everybody else. So think about that. All of the attention was on God. It wasn't even on Elizabeth. It wasn't even on Zachariah. It wasn't even on the baby. It was on God. It was about what God promised and what God kept. It was about what God was doing in the lives of his people. And I'm going to tell you something, that's what praise is all about. Praise is all about God, it's all to God, it's all for God. And so I'm so thankful that we see that in this passage of Scripture. Listen to me, Zechariah blew it in his first race. He blew it. I, I would like to say he got a DNF, right? He got a DNF. He, he didn't win any faith points in that first round. But oh, thank God for second chances, amen? Thank God for new starting lines because right here, Zechariah got a new starting line. And how did he begin? He praised God. And I want you to see his praise poured out because we see it in the song of Zechariah. Look at verse 67. This is so important. The very first verse, 67 says, his father, talking about John the Baptist, his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Listen to me. If, if we don't have verse 67, then we don't have 68 through 79. Do you hear me? If we don't have 67, then 68 through 79 don't exist. Because he can't say anything good about God and anything good to God unless it comes from the Spirit of God. We need to understand that. And so it says he was filled with the Holy Spirit And he prophesied. In other words, he spoke the word of God. And look at verse 68. 
Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant, as though, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy. There it is again, right? Mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant. The oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. What an awesome song. And then he turns to his his little son, John, and he says, You, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. Notice we've got one sentence. One sentence about John, and notice that the rest of it is all about Jesus. He says, and you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare a way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender, what? Mercy of God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong in the spirit and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. I want to start back at the beginning in verse 67. Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and he was enabled to prophesy Just like Elizabeth, I want you to think with me. If you go backwards and you look at Elizabeth, right? When Mary walked in her door, what did it say about Elizabeth? She was what? Filled with the Holy Spirit. And because she was filled with the Holy Spirit, she was able to recognize who that baby in Mary's womb was. It was the Lord. It was her Savior. And so what did she do? She poured out praise to God. She was filled with the Spirit and she poured out praise to God. To God, And so what we see here is that Zechariah, just like Elizabeth, was filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied, he poured out praise to God. His words were from God and they were for God. His words were from God, but they were for God because God wanted to reveal himself to his people. And so Zechariah had a song. Zechariah's song was one of praise and it was praise about God's salvation. Do you notice that? Two key elements. Two key elements of Zechariah's words, his song of praise. Number one, God's salvation. Here's what it says. It says salvation has come to his people. It was about the saving presence of God. Listen to me. The Bible says that Jesus, right, his name, it means to save them from their sins. It comes from the Old Testament name Joshua, one who saves The Bible says that when Jesus was born, he was also called Emmanuel. What does that mean? God with us. And so salvation is about God's saving presence 
with us and for us. This was a fulfillment of all the prophecies. Zechariah, he talked about those prophets of long ago and all of the words they spoke and how this was the fulfillment of those prophecies. It was the opportunity now for him and for all of Israel to serve God without fear in the land that they lived, to serve God, his words were, in holiness and righteousness. What he understood was that apart from the Lord, apart from Jesus, there's no way for you and me to be holy. There's no way for you and me to be righteous. The only way we can truly serve God in this world is to be in Christ and Christ be in us. And then we can serve God without fear. Without fear of man, without fear of this world, we can stand up and boldly say, I proclaim Jesus Christ as the Son of God, the Most High. I proclaim Jesus Christ as the one and only Savior of the world. And I can do that without fear. I can do that without reservation. Let me tell you why. It's because as a child of God, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit. The conviction of the Holy Spirit. And also, the authority of the Holy Spirit. I'm filled with the holiness and the righteousness of Jesus Christ, not of Jeff. Right of Jesus Christ. And that's why I say there are two elements in Zechariah's song. The first one is salvation, but the second one is mercy. Because Zechariah's song of praise, it's all about God's mercy on His people and for His people. None of this was about what God's people had done or what God's people were doing. It was all about what God had done and what God was doing and what God was going to continue to do. This was not about what they had earned or deserved. Because Zechariah tells us right here that they were sinners in need of what? Forgiveness. And see, that's what I love about mercy. People describe mercy and grace in this way, right? Mercy is God sparing us with what we do deserve. And grace is about God giving us what we don't deserve. I've heard that said many times. I'm not telling you it's 100% right or 100% accurate, but I do do like it. See, what I deserve is I deserve to be separated from God forever and ever. What I deserve is to suffer the wrath of God, the penalty of God because of my sin. But God's mercy, right? God's mercy. He gives me what I don't deserve. God's grace. God's mercy. It's not about what I've done. It's about what God's done. God was the only one who could meet my greatest need, and that is salvation. God is the only one who could forgive me because here's the truth, right? It's through the blood of Jesus Christ that we can have the remission of sin, the forgiveness of sin. Jesus is the only way. He is the only one. And so Zechariah's song, it's all about salvation from God. It's all about mercy from God. And it's about what that salvation and that mercy can do and will do in the life of a believer. Thank God for a new starting line, amen? He's running a new race right now. He's running a new race and he's focused on the salvation that he has from God. He's focused on the mercy that he's bathing in from God. It's the grace of God poured out to him. And in this moment, I love it because he turns and he looks at John. Don't you love this? He turns and he looks at John and he says, You, my child, you, my child, 
You're special. You're special. But you're special because of the one, because of the one whom you're going to talk about. Because of the one that you're going to prepare the way for. See, I love this because Zechariah, he, he blesses his child John, but his focus is on the Lord. Think about that for just a moment. He's looking at this new baby that his wife is holding. And he's, he's speaking a blessing over him. He's looking at the face of John, but he's thinking about the face of Jesus. His focus is on Jesus. Because here's what Zechariah, I believe, here's what Zechariah knew in that moment. His son was nothing without Jesus Christ. His son had nothing to prepare for if Jesus wasn't coming. His son had no faith to stand firm on if Jesus wasn't coming. And that's why I believe his song was all about the Lord and very little about his own son. His song was all about the Lord. What the Lord had done, what the Lord is doing. And he looked at John and he said, you get to be a part of it. You get to be a part of it. So it wasn't John the Baptist who would bring forgiveness. It wasn't John the Baptist who would bring redemption. It wasn't John the Baptist who would bring rescue to the people. John the Baptist would prepare the way and speak the way of the one who would forgive, the one who would redeem, and the one who would rescue, and his name is Jesus. The Christmas story is not about Zechariah. The Christmas story is not about Elizabeth. I'm going to tell you, and I might make some religious people mad, the Christmas story ain't about Mary. The Christmas story is about Jesus. And Zechariah and Elizabeth and Mary are a part of it. John the Baptist is a part of it. But it's all about Jesus. Because there is no Christmas story without Christ. It's just a must. Right? It's just must. <laughs> That's what it is. Right? It's just must. And what is that? I'll tell you what it is. That's nothing. You can't even find that word in the dictionary. It's nothing. I can say that because I got, you know, a couple of English degrees. So I have the authority to say that by, based on my English degrees. Christmas ain't nothing without Christ. It's nothing without Christ. So let me ask you this question again because I've already asked it. And guess what? If you come next week, I'm going to ask it again. What does the Christmas story have to do with my faith right now, today? What does the Christmas story have to do with my faith? What, do, what can I do by looking at the faith of Zechariah and Mary and Elizabeth? What, what can that do for me? What can the Christmas story do for my faith today? Well, I'll tell you again. The Christmas story, first and foremost, is a foundation of faith. It's a foundation of faith for me. But what I see today is that when I stumble and when I fall, my God forgives me, and my God gives me a new starting line. And I'm going to tell you, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful. You know, a little over a month ago, and I know I may have shared this story with you on Sunday night, but a little over a month ago, I was running that New York City Marathon. And uh, I told you I wanted to quit. There was a part there where my calf muscles started cramping up, and, and I didn't think I could do it. And all I could think about were those messages that had been coming through my earphones. You got this, Brother Jeff. You can do it, Brother Jeff. I remember that voice message that I got from you that said, we love you, Brother Jeff. 
we love you, Brother Jeff. I could hear that, and that's all I could think about. But what was sad was when I got to mile 24, I mean, two miles from the finish line, I come around this curve, and I'm, I'm in Central Park, and I look over here, and there's a young lady, and she's on the ground, and paramedics were right there with her. And they had a stretcher. This young lady had tripped and fallen and busted her kneecaps wide open. She had run 24 of 26 miles. And she never got to cross the finish line. Her name won't be on the list of all the runners who finished the New York City Marathon. Marty can tell you, I told her, when I called Marty, that was one of the first things I told her, was I just saw the saddest thing. I wasn't even thinking about me crossing the finish line and, you know, running my race. All I could think about was that girl who didn't get to cross the finish line. DNF. And I hope, I hope that she had family, I hope she had friends, I hope she had a coach or a trainer that said, guess what? There'll be another opportunity. There'll be another race. And you will get to run it, and you will finish it. I don't know where you are right now in your walk with God. I don't even know if you have a walk with God. And maybe right now you're struggling with failure, with defeat. Maybe you're struggling right now with DNF, right? Did not finish. Maybe you feel like a loser. Maybe you feel like a failure. Let me tell you something. God loves you. He loves you. And your failure does not define you. And your stumbling and bumbling does not define you. God says who you are. God defines you. And God says that He loves you. God says He loves you so much that He gave his one and only son, that if you would just believe in him, you would have life. You would not perish, you would have life, and it would be eternal. That's what God says. God says you are his special possession. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. God says he created you so that you could, so that you could praise him and give him the glory with your life. So I'm going to tell you something. When you fall, don't stay down. Get up. Get up because God will give you another start line. Because God did not create you to be a failure. God did not create you to not finish. God created you to have victory. And God created you to cross that finish line and give Him glory with your life. Thank God for new start lines. Thank God for Jesus. Because without Jesus... I DNF it all. I'm disqualified without Jesus. But with Jesus, I'm a child of God, and that is who I am. Go read the letters of John, see what he says. I am a child of God, and that is who I am, because he says so. Because I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He has forgiven me of my sin. He has redeemed me. He has rescued me. And today I can stand in holiness and righteousness, and give praise to God. It's all about Jesus.